Namaste viewers. My guest today is Dr. Anil Kakorkarji, who is the former chair of the Atomic Energy Commission of India, a very distinguished person who's won the Padam Shri, the Padam Bhushan, and the Padam Vibhushan, all three um, important awards, and a long list of uh, other recognition and awards, both uh, in India and internationally. A truly great sco uh, scholar, scientist, uh, intellectual, uh, and a policymaker for the Indian government. Dr. Uh, Kakorgarji, I am honored to have you here. Thank namaste, you very much. Namaste, namaste. I want to discuss my book on artificial intelligence and the future of power, uh, which takes five battlegrounds and, uh, and discusses them in, in, in some detail. Uh, and a and, uh, lot of the issues uh, are the same as technology, whether it's space technology, whether it's nuclear technology, the issues of policy and social impact are the same. For example, uh, I want to share this with you and get your comments. Technology is inevitable. And uh, it's not a question of uh, whether we want it or not, it's going to happen. Uh, we might as well join it and do it responsibly and control it rather than letting it control us. Now, uh, the disruptions of artificial intelligence, like most technologies, will be unequal. So some educated people will get benefit, less educated people may lose their jobs. Uh, it has different effects on different social economic strata of society, uh, different industries, it also creates disparities in regions. So maybe maybe a cert certain uh, high-tech regions uh, within a country will do very well and uh, the less developed uh, places will not. And then there is disparity between countries, uh, just like uh, the Industrial Revolution created colonization and uh, Britain and France became the colonizers. Of course, they were fighting against each other also and the rest of the world becoming colonized. Similarly, it could happen that China is creating its colonies, like Pakistan is a colony of theirs and a lot, large part of Africa, and U.S. is competing. U.S. has its uh, spheres of influence. So what do you think of this unequal, the, the unequal uh, uh, impact creates uh, disruption because uh, old equilibriums and old balances get disrupted and uh, there, are, there is a struggle for everybody to join this uh, new revolution, but they have unequal ability to do so. So what are your thoughts on the social ramifications that are brought about like this? Thank you for having me. And uh, uh, before I come to the specific question that you have put, uh, let me compliment you for this wonderful uh, work that uh, you have done writing this book uh, at this stage of the game artificial intelligence and future of power and and discussing this very important question in the context of five battlegrounds as you as you said so this is i think a great contribution and a, i i'm sure it will trigger a a very important discussion conversation in the societies uh, um, to prepare societies themselves prepare humanity going forward you know, we're all human beings, uh, but we are a part of the, the larger animal kingdom in the nature. Now, uh, in the larger animal kingdom, uh, I'm not, I'll not call them jungle laws, but I'll, there's some, there's some order, some rules of the game, whether one likes it or not. 
and they are driven by a set of factors survival being one of them might is right and things of that kind but humans are different compared to all the rest that way i think uh, there is certain level of intelligence among all animals all living beings uh, but that is uh, that is more to do with you know just ability to find food ability for survival and things of that kind whereas uh, the intelligence uh, which the human beings possess and the the way uh, the brain has evolved the human brain has evolved uh, it has gone uh, quite some distance compared to any other of course even in animals there are gradations but it has gone quite some distance compared to any brain whether it is good or bad uh, if you fundamentally ask i would say i don't know <laughs> okay because uh, because the, the question is uh, you know the human beings just like animal kingdom has some set of rules or something human beings the, the building of societies and we also created a set of rules of the game at the at the local level at regional level and there are you know in recent times there are also rules of the game at the global level how much one follows how much one violates is a matter of constant debate which is which is what happens everywhere so the, now the the point is that uh, are we all abiding by the rules that have been created by kind of uh, well meaning humans in a collaborative cooperative way and the answer is probably not and uh, so i think in all of us there is some human being there is also some animal and that animal instinct does not go away now uh, but however uh, of course it is the ability to think the the intelligence the human intelligence has brought us all these creature comforts we have uh, humans have become all uh, powerful compared to any other species uh, maybe for the good of human beings maybe uh, in fact the other way of looking at it is we are almost creating a disaster for the mother earth you, you can trace it back to the human intelligence now uh, we are now come to era of technology advancing to the level of artificial intelligence first of all the animal instinct in human beings creates disparity the point you raised now technology augments the human capability so a human being uh, more equipped with technology or more technology savvy and another human being not so much savvy that will only contribute to greater disparities yes and similarly uh, in fact uh, i come uh, from the area of uh, atomic energy and uh, atomic energy there are several ethics issue on one side weapons other side radiation 
and people have a lot of apprehensions on atomic energy so there are a huge number of issues related to ethics so i often get asked this question that to and of course i have uh, i was brought up in a gandhian family so i have those roots so they in fact relate that how you coming from those roots how you got in atomic energy is it not bad or how you look at it and i often reply saying that look technology is never good or bad regardless of how powerful that technology is technology is technology it is the quality of human mind that dictates whether the technology is good for good or bad or whether technology will be used for good purpose or a bad purpose and so the important thing is upbringing of human beings and that uh, has i think many dimensions beyond just acquisition of knowledge it is not related to just artificial intelligence it is related to any other technology as well artificial intelligence is a more powerful technology so you will see this phenomena in a much much more stark manner that's the difference so you know just to draw a comparison uh, india in the case of space with isro and atomic energy with uh, which is you, you're one of the pioneers and leaders uh, with in the with bhava atomic research center uh, decided that uh, we must also be in the fundamental research and development we cannot just import and manufacture we must be at par uh, to some extent it was forced upon us because there were these embargoes uh, but to some extent it was also very wise policy now in the case of ai in the case of ai the fundamental technology we are importing uh, and and like geo is now importing from google and facebook they, they brought in lot of money and capital to sell them some equity so i feel that rather than saying we won i would say that it, the equivalent thing would be like if the atomic energy people said we will invite many uh, foreign people we will not make our own reactors we will not do research we will invite foreign people to come and set up their plants and uh, give us electricity uh, that that while it has short term value that you can get electricity quickly but you also become dependent on the technology forever and you're always one generation behind because they they're not going to give you the latest and so when they're giving you generation n they are already working on n plus 1 and n plus 2 so in the case of uh, geo bringing in uh, foreign artificial intelligence and digital people and da- big data people and all that Uh, is being celebrated in india as a sign of uh, great progress because you know uh, we we are now uh, we are now number 2 or number 3 in the world for market of uh, google and market of uh, you know twitter and facebook but i think rather than celebrating that we are consumers of foreign technology we should be producers we should be producers of technology our own technology and uh, so i want to discuss this with you that uh, uh, just because there was no embargo in ai bringing in ai and digital technology while there was embargo in the case of atomic energy and space and so we were forced to indigenize uh, do you feel that it is a it has been a strategic error uh, that india did not invest in its own ai now in the case of china they have jack ma, jack ma who is the chinese uh, big billionaire uh, he he started very humble but he decided that he take on the google and the facebook and the twitter and the amazon and so he has built some very big industries the, uh, china has many people like jack built uh, alibaba tencent baidu huawei all kind of companies 
So India doesn't have those kind of very giant companies in AI. Do you think that somewhere India lost track of the strategic importance of research? While after independence, when India was very poor, we invested in atomic energy. Homi Bhabha was very clear on that. And, and we invested in Satish Dhawan and various others, big pioneers in ISRO. But we never did something like that for AI. Would you care to comment on the, this problem? Well, this is a very important, uh, very important issue. Uh, for example, when I entered atomic energy in the year 1964, uh, now at that time, uh, you know, Atomology went through a lot of embargoes and restrictions and technology denial and whatnot. But there was nothing of that kind at that time. But uh, I remember uh, Dr. Baba had enunciated this principle of self-reliance. But while he did that decide and we constructed the first power plant uh, imported from US, also decided to set up a domestic uranium power uranium production open uranium mines in the country and in spite of the best of exploration efforts the grade of ore in indian mines was found to be very poor something like 0.06% now at that grade in those days nobody would touch it because that was the grade of reject material and not an overbody. So it was, you know, any economic assessment done at that time would have kind of driven to a conclusion that this is not viable. But Dr. Bhaba, he opened that mine. So on one side, he imported a nuclear reactor for which, of course, the fuel also was to come from abroad. Other side, he's opened a mine which is under Indian circumstances also was known to be non-viable. But that is non-viable in terms of when you compare it in the context of uranium price, international uranium price. He knew that uranium is not going to be traded so easily at some stage, certainly not for India. And uh, he also knew that the cost of uranium doesn't make much difference to the, the unit energy cost because it's a very small fraction of the total uh, cost of production of electricity. So he went ahead and it, we made a commercial success of water reactor technology. So all I'm trying to say is that the concept of self-reliance has to be seen uh, in, a, in a holistic manner. Now, coming back to artificial intelligence, one could think of starting uh, a kind of a very uh, aggressive activity in terms of uh, education and research in artificial intelligence. One could also engage in developments of some technology step by step and take it to higher level. At the same time, accelerate that process of learning by engaging with others. So we can yes. collaborate with other countries yes. and do some projects, see what it means to apply that. And there are there are not just technology dimension. There are also other, as you yourself have brought out, uh, socio-political, economic, all dimensions are there. So we need to see that. So uh, now, unfortunately, uh, 
if you just take a look that no 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 i just sign a contract and everything will be available very cheap and uh, see the, frankly being the biggest customer is not to be proud of it is something that you said that i am so glad it, it is something which the vendors foreign countries yeah, you should be happy they will be very happy about but for us our aim should be we should be the biggest vendors not biggest buyers i i i go to all these conferences where the limelight is given to speaker after speaker who stands up and says we are the third largest in mobile uh, penetration we are the fourth largest or second largest in internet we are this much largest in uh, so, uh, how many whatsapp users we got i mean and i tell them that you are making your vendor proud you are making the producers of, of those things proud that you are such a happy customer such a large customer it's not a matter of pride it's just that we have a large population and so if we have a large population obviously we'll buy the maximum number of shoes the maximum number of clothes the maximum amount of drinking water the maximum amount of milk and similarly the maximum amount of technology technical things which are commodities there's nothing to be proud of that so the to be proud you should say we are exporting so much we are rather if you were the second third largest producer in r&d and it is our operating system it is not apple or 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 uh, windows or uh, you know uh, android it is our operating system it is our apps are the biggest apps uh, in the market uh, if you were to say that in tech, in computer technology and artificial intelligence indian indian minds have made made in india products which are the best then i would be very happy but that's not the case one difference between atomic energy and ai is also that in ai indian brains are among the best all over the world but they are not working for india they are either working in the united states or if they are working in india they are working for google india microsoft india foreign foreign vendors the intellectual property belongs to them we are providing the brains and we are making their intellectual property but i think in atomic energy and space in both those examples india produced scientists who worked in india for india for because those institutions backed by the government produce so much benefit for society for economics for political it had you know these are not just technocratic issues these space and atomic energy is, is an issue for every economist and every social scientist they have to think about it now ai somehow deserves ai deserves that place but hasn't received that place so what has happened is in the last 15 years ai the indian brains all went somewhere else because there is nothing like that of that scale in india so this is this is because i think the homi bhaba didn't exist for ai homi bhaba as you just mentioned was brilliant in saying we have a short term need and a long term need short term need will fill by bringing in for, from foreign countries whatever we need we will bring it in and we will then do reverse engineering we learn from it but we'll also plant seeds for long term rnd ourselves and then in the end we the long term rnd will catch up where we'll have our own technology also china did that china in artificial intelligence 20 years ago said that by 2025 they want to be number one in artificial intelligence and catch up with or beat the united states and it looks like they're doing that so this is why the united states is worried because there are military applications there are so many kinds of applications china whether they were doing beg borrow or steal whatever their method of uh, was they did a lot of they are filing a lot of patents more than usa on in artificial intelligence they have more artificial intelligence engineers represented in international conferences than any other country and they also store a lot of licensed or whatever they did but they managed in 20 years to uh, starting from nowhere they now become like number one so they did short term 
because they also sold cheap labor, cheap factory labor to make money. They, they sold cheap manufacturing to the American factories and said, come and do your manufacturing here. They did short term, but they also did long term. That is the Bhaba vision. Now, in India, there was no homi Bhaba for artificial intelligence. This is a very sad thing. One brain could have done so much. Well, uh, yeah, you are you are absolutely right. And uh, so let me let me expand that even further. For example, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, of course, uh, one is algorithms, but you need to train those systems on a lot of data. Yes. Now, uh, where does the largest data reside? And I'll put it to you, India is the place. Of course it is. Now, so, uh, of course, uh, the uh, at the initial stages for smaller systems and all, you can you can uh, train and, and prepare the develop those systems even where large data because large data may not be required but going forward particularly when you're talking about addressing issues society wide or country wide or uh, you know such major things uh, you need to validate that on a very large data now uh, so all I'm trying to say is while we should uh, certainly focus on R&D and artificial intelligence and progressively upgrade ourselves to be comparable with the best in the world, but at the same time, we should recognize that data is going to be our strength. And we should not allow that data to go away cheap. And we can leverage that our ability to host that data to in fact develop collaborations which have larger benefit for us even in our R&D or you know, development of algorithms and things of that kind. So I think the way to do in my mind is that you must develop collaborative efforts uh, which of course can be done in respect of any other technology development. But here we must do it in a manner that we actually start applying them as we qualify these AI systems, start applying them to larger and larger domains. And that would require validation against the larger and larger data. So we, we, have, uh, we have that important control on data and that can be leveraged to derive larger benefit out of collaboration. For a, for a long time, I've been saying that India should not become a digital colony by exporting its data, but India continues to export its data in free. I'm saying that every time you do a Google search, you are supplying big data to Google. Every yes. time you do Google, as far as society is concerned, they are hacking your brain and they are saying, uh, Dr. Kakorkar's interests are these. And when you give the results, this is what he clicks, this is what he doesn't click. They are figuring out your psychology. They're figuring out the psychology of hundreds of millions of Indians every single moment in real time. Every post you put up on social media, uh, it is ranked, in, it is rated in terms of your profile. And every post that they send to you, whether you like it or not, affects your profile. But the problem is bigger than that. For example, uh, let us say you have a system which is uh, validated some society or some community, which is not similar to the 
society or community that we have here then you uh, you kind of transpose that technology onto this alien or different society i think uh, there is no guarantee that even if you have developed a tool which is fair in a society where it was qualified that it will remain fair in a new domain where the characteristics of the society are different on the on the issue of bias in artificial intelligence because even within a society even within america the blacks are the black lives matter movement is saying that the ai is prejudiced against them so when ai is used to uh, defi- figure out who's qualified for a job they're taking thousands of job applicants and figuring out whom to invite for an interview a certain minority groups are saying that it biased against them because the ai system is trained on people who are not from the minority community so gender there's gender bias there's lgbtq bias there is minority bias there are all kind of biases now the point is that in united states itself there are these voices speaking against the very big companies that own all the ai but i see that in india that kind of a voice does not exist because the social scientists and the ngos that ought to be informed about all this are not informed they are not educated so that is what my book is trying to do is trying very to good trying to inform them give them a seat at the table give them a voice so they should come and talk about how this big data controlled by the big companies at the top is not representative of the indian public and so the issues are are huge you know as you said in the in the beginning during the opening remarks now the answer to this question is that we must carry on our own domestic r&d and we must have a strategy that the uh, the gap between the best in the world and us is minimized in fact better still is made in in our favor in the yes. sense we should be better you know ai is going to change the nature of jobs of course completely. yes and and when that happens the question is uh, one thing is a much more amount of work will be done by technology so uh, first of all the low level jobs will vanish but even high level jobs you will be able to do in a much shorter time so we'll have a lot of leisure quite possible now the question is whether human beings will spend that leisure in further evolving themselves for good or the uh, the devil in the man will will become more powerful so i i fully relate to this but my perspective is a little different i think that this ai uh, forecast that we'll have a lot of leisure time and the question is how to spend it applies to rich countries because they have the they can afford a lot of unemployed people maybe maybe they can support them but if in india to be competitive with the world and ai comes in uh, uh, and uh, 1.3 billion people uh, most of them will not have jobs uh, you, as you yourself said either they will have no jobs or they'll be underemployed or there'll be artificial job creation just to keep them employed which means they are a burden on society and you could you could imagine several hundred million people in india being considered a liability being considered an economic and social burden 
So the question is not that they are going to sit at home and wear these AR goggles and leisure time and they're going to enjoy life and they'll have robots doing all this work for them. The point is they will have no buying power. They, they don't, if they don't have buying power because they're not producers, they're not productive producers in an economy, their value for wages is not there because machines have taken over their wages. And since they, are not, they, they don't offer anything productive, useful uh, in economic terms, they have no buying power. And if they have no buying power, society is not going to give them the luxury of sitting at home and enjoying leisure time and, and having a good life. So that vision of AI producing leisure time is a vision that has come from the West. But for poor countries, developing countries with a large population, I think that uh, I think the bigger worry is not that we will have so much leisure time, we won't know what to do with. I think the bigger problem is that we won't be able to feed the mouths. We won't be able to give them jobs. Uh, and, and so rather than talking about too much leisure time, they'll be unemployed. So what you don't want are people who are unemployed and have leisure time. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. I fully agree. But uh, this is where Gandhi had problem with technology. Yes. You know, even at his time, he didn't want uh, the textiles produced by high manufacturing rate machines in comparison to hand-spun, hand-woven textile, because he, he was he was concerned about exactly the same problem. But the same, for example, uh, the charkha, which was a single spindle uh, device in his time. Even today, Khadi is produced on amber charkha, which has uh, maybe eight spindles, 16 spindles, 24 spindles, and which is driven by solar power. So, what if I understood Gandhi right? What you know, many people think he was against technology. He was not against technology in my view, but he was against a technology that becomes exploitative. And as you correctly observed, AI badly implemented will become exploitative. And but at the same time, see that doesn't mean that we shun AI and remain backward because we are living in an interconnected world. So we must become competent in AI, in my way of looking at things, and make sure that the divide between the rich and the poor, the advanced countries and the not so advanced countries and all is minimized. And with our demographic dividend that we have, I think uh, we have a great opportunity to do that through education. And if we don't do that, we have to blame ourselves. So after all, if AI can be driven by the bright Indian youth going abroad, why can't AI be driven by the same bright Indian youth doing here? There are larger number available here. So my point is, AI is a great tool. It has arrived. You cannot wish it away. The right thing would be to engage with this technology, be competent in that technology, and as I said, uh, create human beings with benign mind. And so rather than, uh, you know, allow the devil's mind to take over and leverage AI, I think Indians should show that benign minds can leverage AI and do a great good to the humanity. And that is the way to go. That's what I was saying. These are good uh, words of inspiration. Uh, uh, and any any final comments or advice on my book, I would welcome your thoughts. 
No, I think it's a great book. Certainly, those battlegrounds which you have defined, they are actually a lot of food for thought for several stakeholders in the society. And I do hope that a lot of debate gets triggered as a result of this book, which will be good for the society and the humanity at large. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been an honor and a privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you.